of love. Good morning. I am so excited uh, about this new sermon series, Retro. As we throw it back to the 1980s, um, it's going to be an awesome time. I'm still kind of, my head's still spinning from when John Garcia said his favorite memory of the 80s was cruising Blackstone going from parking lot to parking lot. Uh, those were good old days, I guess. Uh, We've asked some of you via social media to send in some photos of you or some others in our church from the 1980s. So we've got several for you. This is Brandon Johansson. Uh, he was a kid in the 80s, fresh with the hot pink shorts. Classic. Uh, next one here, we've got, uh, this is the Wood family, Stephen and Joanne and the boys. Uh, I'm loving the suspenders and obviously the hair. Uh, next, I think we got Kathy Grimes, circa 1982. Uh, then we've got, this one's one of my favorites here, uh, Dina Tenney. Uh, <laughs> our screen, believe it or not, wasn't big enough to contain all of the hair in that photo. And along the theme of big hair, here's a picture of my sister. Um, I didn't know that shrooms were so popular back then. It certainly was a great hairstyle. <clears throat> this is uh, John Garcia. Uh, and uh, uh, he actually wore that to school in the 80s. So that was awesome. Um, here's a picture of our children's pastor in 1980s. Uh, Brittany. <laughs> 1989. Okay, she made it. She is an 80s baby. 1989. And uh, here's a picture of my parents. Uh, circa the 1980s. My dad has hair. So give it up for my dad's hair. Yes. Yes. Amen. And uh, I got to uh, throw some down of me and my, my family here. So here's uh, uh, my, my sister's first communion, my brother and I as well. Uh, and then this one might be the most embarrassing of all. This is me, believe it or not. I'm wearing a Kool-Aid t-shirt and a headband. My parents showed this picture off in the 80s and someone said, what a beautiful daughter you have. True story. Although I was a teenager in the 90s, I'll always have a special place in my heart for the 80s. I was born in 1980, so we started off the decade with my conception and birth. Um, in the 80s, we saw certain toys take over our homes. And I had a front row seat to the toys of the 80s because I was a child. Um, arcades were jammed with people playing a new video game called Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Some of the early gamers might also be fiddling with a colorful, nine-sided toy called a Rubik's Cube. Uh, my sister was a big fan of the Cabbage Patch dolls, uh, complete with adoption papers. Apparently, like, there's these plants that grow children, okay? It's a little bit weird. Then, this took over all the commercials, Teddy Ruxpin, okay? Now, this was a doll uh, that, uh, that you would... The bear would read stories to you through a via a video or a tape cassette in the back of Teddy Ruxpin. Um, then there was my buddy. My buddy doll was, it was a toy made by Hasbro, and the intention was to make dolls appeal to boys. It also, coincidentally, became the inspiration for the horror series Chucky. Okay? The music of the 1980s is timeless. You've been hearing it all morning. We've got Journey, right? Journey. That's my friend John Garcia in Journey in the, with a red tank top on. 
journey. We got Michael Jackson, right? We're all jamming to Thriller. It's good, yes. Hey, um, Bon Jovi, living on a prayer. Boy, there's some 80s music fans here. And then maybe my personal favorite, Phil Collins. Any Phil Collins fans out there? I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Uh, also, it was the decade that invented the CD, a compact disc, okay? So I don't know that people who are here young don't know what that is. They were really cool in the late 80s. Um, in the 80s, we had the time of our lives, okay, watching movies like this. Dirty Dancing. Audience lined up at the movies to watch Steven Spielberg's E.T. E.T. Phone home. We saw The Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. Right? I mean, who can forget this right here? This is all you need to say. If, if you don't know what that is, you were deprived as a child, okay? <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, that's so good. So good. Shaking a baby now. Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed, right? So good. The Goonies. Maybe my favorite movie of all time. Hey, you guys. Right? Oh, what's that? Someone silenced their cell phone. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. That's mine. Guys, I apologize. I did not mean to do this. Hello? Um... It's a bad time, Bob. Okay. Um. In TV, we had Cheers, where everybody knows your name. Love that. Uh, a less popular one, but it had such an effect on my childhood. ALF. <laughs> Who remembers ALF, okay? ALF stands for alien life form. It was a cute, fuzzy alien that lived with a family and apparently ate cats. This one was a little young for me, but I still remember the craze. Dallas. Dallas. Who shot JR? Right? That episode aired on March 21st, 1980, and viewers had to wait eight months to find out if the Ewing patriarch would survive whodunit. Over 80 million people tuned in. There were lots of significant events in our nation and in our world. Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington. That was a crazy event. And then in 1986, the space shuttle Challenger exploded over Cape Canaveral just 73 seconds after takeoff. School children watched it live as it took place. In 1987, President Ronald Reagan made headlines when he traveled to Berlin in June and urged the Soviet Union to, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And as the decade came to a close, 1989, history itself was crumbling as the Berlin Wall came tumbling down that year. It was transmitted on live TV all across the world. The way this uh, sermon series is going to work is that each week we'll look at a few events that happened throughout the decade, um, maybe some phenomenon that helped to define the decade, and then we're going to see how they relate to Scripture and ultimately how they relate to us, to you and me. And this morning we're going to talk a bit about failure. Uh, April 23rd, 
1985 stands as one of the most significant dates in business history. The Coca-Cola company's share of the lead uh, in its flagship market uh, had been slowly slipping for 15 consecutive years. Um, consumer preference for Coke was dipping, as was consumer awareness, and that changed, of course, in the summer of 1985 uh, over the outcry of what became known as New Coke. The fabled secret formula for Coca-Cola was changed, adopting a new formula that was done in an approved taste test of over 200,000 customers. In blind taste tests, they discovered that customers preferred New Coke as to Original Coke and Pepsi, its primary competitor. What these tests didn't show, of course, was how the bond between a consumer and the bottle of Coke itself. They didn't want, they didn't know this, but the events that transpired in the spring and summer of 85 have pundits blasting the worst marketing blunder of the century. Consumers by the thousands called Coca-Cola in protest. The company severely underestimated the bond that people had in the memories it brought up of the original Coca-Cola classic. And after being flooded with phone calls, 40,000 letters and reams of bad press, um, in like 76 days, they backtracked the whole marketing campaign and brought back old Coke. Uh, announcing the return of Coca-Cola Classic, uh, Peter Jennings, national news anchor, interrupted General Hospital. <laughs> just to make the announcement that Coca-Cola Classic's coming back. It made the front page of virtually every major newspaper, including Time Magazine. All over a soda, or as we called it throughout my childhood, pop. Anybody else call it pop back in the day? Okay, you're from the Midwest. Yes. There are a lot of layers we could go here, a lot of directions we can go. Like, people like what they like and they don't like change, and we could totally camp out there and do an entire message just on that. But we're going to focus in on failure, and I have had lots of failures in ministry. Okay, I've been a, a full-time pastor since 2001. And uh, so I was young, uh, 21, 22 years old, when I began uh, as a youth minister. In one particular time, we were doing a, a, a message series through the book of Leviticus, okay? Not like a perfect book series for, like, teenagers, um, but we were talking about the sacrificial system and the priests and everything like that. And so we decided, at my urging, that we would get a goat and we would, like, have him tied to a post as kids were like, high school kids were coming in. So the kids are like taking selfies with the goat. They're like building this bond with this goat. And uh, then we do the service. And during the sermon, I had, as I'm talking about what it looked like for the high priest to sacrifice a goat, um, I, some of my staff began to put like this tarp down at the front of the altar. And the kids are kind of like, what's going on? And then one of our leaders grabbed the goat and started walking through the middle aisle. With all, and all the kids are watching going, no, this isn't going to happen. And so then they brought the goat up to the front. And then as I'm sharing about what the high priest would do and what it signified, I grabbed the goat's face and then pulled out a fake knife. <laughs> and I did this. And I go, and then he would slip, and then this girl goes, no, John, don't do it, don't do it, John, don't do it. They're crying. And I go, I'm not going to kill a goat. And then everyone kind of erupts in laughter. But we had people crying and so mad, and I got lots of phone calls. 
for pretending to kill a goat in church. Don't do this. Fail. Another time, I was teaching a sermon on um, uh, when Jesus was anointed with uh, perfume by a woman. And it was just such an extravagant gift uh, that the perfume cost months and months and months of a daily wage to purchase. And I was talking about that sacrifice. So at the end of the sermon, it's powerful. The band strumming their guitars, playing their keys. I call up one of my leaders, and I pull out a bottle of cologne, which was eternity, by the way, which I thought was a good, you know, rel- re- relative thing there. And I opened that bottle of eternity, and I dumped it all over my leader. And, and uh, the bottle was like 60 bucks, which is nothing compared to what it really was in the ancient world with this, this alabaster jar full of fragrance. Immediately, he can't breathe. He's coughing. <laughs> Kids got in their eyes. Like, it permeated the whole place. Like, I go, it's okay, buddy. And I'm trying to, like, transition to this powerful moment. And my leader, it, Derek, is dying on the front because of inhalation of fragrance. <laughs> Fail. Fail. One time I left Nick, who is actually um, uh, one of our audiovisual ministry leaders. One time I left him at a store in Africa. <laughs> Just left him. We got everybody in the bus. Everybody's here. Okay, great. And we'll, drove away. No cell phone. He's just at a store in Africa. About 30 minutes later, I realized, where's Nick? Fail. We found him. He's in the back now. Um, <laughs> fail. Fail. You've probably had some failures as well along the way, right? Failed businesses, failed careers, failed marriages. When I think about failure in the scriptures, I look at Peter. Peter was the rock. He was the rock upon whom God will build his church. He was close with Jesus. Some scholars say the closest between all the disciples. At one point, Peter says to Jesus, if everybody else abandons you, I never will. I never will. Uh, What happens? Well, Jesus is arrested. Everybody scatters, but Pete sticks around. He wants to be near the action. And just outside the place where Jesus is being held, some of the religious leaders had gathered around a fire, and then one of them spots Peter, and he says, hey, you're friends with Jesus, right? You're friends with the guy that we arrested. And Peter says, nah, you're mistaken. Then another person says, hey, you're one of the disciples, aren't you? Peter says, no, you you got the wrong guy. One more person who is somehow connected to the guy who Peter cut his ear off and then Jesus heals says, no, 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 no. I saw you in the olive grove with him. And then Peter says the Aramaic equivalent to, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have to know the guy. It's a swear. It's a curse in the Aramaic. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, you might have failed throughout your life at times. But after having spent three years with the Son of God, being renamed the Rock, You betray him with curses and swearing. I never knew the man. How do you move on from this? It's when he needed Peter the most, and Peter abandons him three times. 
how do you move on? You believe and you trust that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances, every chance. He doesn't give up on us. We've been taught our whole lives to believe in Jesus, and Jesus reiterates throughout the scriptures and with the Holy Spirit still inside of us saying, I believe in you. I believe in you, David. I believe in you, Jamie. I believe in you, Nick. He's a God of first, second, third, fourth. So how does Pete move on? After Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, and Peter has time to think about this. In the last time he uttered Jesus' name, it was in cursing his name and leaving him behind. So what does Peter do? He goes back to what he knew best, fishing. He goes back to what he did before he met this Jesus. And he goes back to fishing. And he's on a boat. It's as if the last three and a half years didn't even exist. Never happened. And he's fishing on a boat and he sees Jesus resurrected. Then Peter puts on his tunic, jumps into the water, and wades to see Jesus. He's so shook up by seeing Jesus that he puts on his clothes puts on his jacket and dives into the water. And as they're drying off by the fire, cooking breakfast, Jesus asks him a question. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And the word love here is the word agape. Uh, Do you self-sacrificing, godly, Jesus-type love? Do you agape me. And he said, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. But he uses a different word. He used the word phileo, which is brother, brotherly love, companionship love. That's why we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love, phileo. It's the same word, same root word. Jesus says, do you self-sacrificing love me with everything inside of you? And Pete says, you know that we're brothers. You know that I brotherly love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly agape me, love me? Jesus said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I brotherly love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? Do, you, do we have that friendship love? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you, that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love that Jesus meets him where he is. Pete, do you agape me? You know that I phileo you. Now, Pete, then feed my sheep. Pete, do you you agape me with the self-giving love that God shows us? You know that I love you like a brother. Phileo you. Feed my lambs. And then he says, Peter, do you phileo me? He's like, you know I phileo you, Jesus. See, he meets him where he's at. And God's been meeting people where we're at for thousands and thousands of years. Throughout the Old Testament and into the New. 
Then Jesus says, feed my sheep, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Anybody in need of a second chance this morning? Always. God is a God of second chances and third chances. Peter is restored. Peter is renewed. And Peter ends up leading the church. He ends up being the very rock to which he will build his church. And Peter never forgot. He never forgot this conversation, this long conversation with Jesus by the fire that one breakfast morning. He actually doesn't forget the language he uses about feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, and feed my lambs. He became a dedicated shepherd of the flock of God. In 1 Peter 5, he writes this in his old age, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, the one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Listen to the language here. It's the sheep shepherd metaphor that Peter himself spurs onward. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Isn't that so beautiful that Peter, in the, in the old age, as he's encouraged, passing the torch to new church leaders, he says, feed the lambs, take care of the sheep, be an example, self-sacrificial love, agape. That's what leaders should be modeled after. Agape love, not acquiring more not about ourselves but giving more to others peter ended up following jesus till the day he died and tradition speaks of peter's death that he was going to be crucified and he demanded to the romans crucifying him he demanded he be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die the kind of death that his savior died and he was he was crucified upside down Failure is an event, not a person. I really feel that, that God has that for somebody in this place this morning. Failure is an event, not a person. Some of you, you've been told you're a failure. And you've let that determine the trajectory of your life. And God says, no, 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 no. Failure is an event. It's not a person. You are not a failure. You're a child of God. You are called out of the old and into the new. Whoever said to you that you're a failure, they were wrong. They were wrong. Failure is an event, not a person. And Peter recovered from failure. And you know what? So did Coca-Cola. They're doing just fine, right? Coke Zero is delicious. That's my jam. Peter was fine. Coke's doing all right, you'll be all right too. We can recover from our past failures. God believes in you. Doesn't define you. In the 1980s, there was something else incredibly tragic and difficult that happened throughout the entire decade. On June 5th, 1981, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released the first official report of what would become to known as the AIDS epidemic. 
The news media was beginning to run more and more stories about a new gay cancer. But it wasn't just gay people that were contracting this virus. Blood transfusions, not disinfecting needles. The virus killed young and old, gay and straight. And the tragedy of the scourge was all too evident in the statistics. By the end of 1981, 121 people had died in the United States. By the end of 1983, it was 1,300. In 1989, over 100,000 cases of the disease had been reported stateside. People were slowly dying painful deaths in a heart-wrenching way. And many times, the only ones who were there for them were medical professionals or their closest loved ones. And even then, sometimes they said, nope, I've got to stay away. They were abandoned because they had this. There was a distance that you kept from people with HIV and AIDS because of the stigma it carried. How did the church respond to such a devastating crisis? Another failure. One prominent Christian leader said this, and this will be on the screens. AIDS is the wrath of a just God against homosexuals. To oppose it would be like an Israelite jumping in the Red Sea to save one of Pharaoh's charioteers. AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals. It is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. Fail. Fail. A political organization called the Moral Majority, composed of many Christian and Christian leaders, opposed government-funded research to find a cure for AIDS because they decided it was a gay problem. Funding to find the cure for this terrible disease was postponed partially because of Christians. Fail. Fail. In the 1980s, Christianity's loudest voices proclaimed darkness when we should have been shining the light. In the ancient world, if you had leprosy, which is a debilitating skin condition, you were treated by society even more harshly than AIDS patients were treated in the 1980s. Leprosy was the AIDS of the ancient world. There was no cure. Luke 5 says this, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. See, they were, lepers, lepers were the outcasts in Jewish community. They were prohibited from entering the temple. So in curing the leper... Jesus was extending his grace even to the outcasts in society. You can see this in another healing account, uh, Luke 17. Uh, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You see, they stood at a distance because that was the culture. And there was 10 of them because that was the only relationships they could have is with other lepers. And so they're out, outcasts. They're, they're beyond reach. They're at a distance. They're only with each other. The only human contact or interaction they get is with other lepers, people whose skin is falling apart. And they look wretched. And they cry out from a distance, 
Lord, Master, heal us. Jesus has compassion and heals them. Father Damien, an amazing Catholic priest in the 1800s, went to a, a, a Hawaiian government's leper colony. They, they, what they did is they, people didn't understand the disease, and, and they also didn't know how to interact with it. So what they did was anybody who had leprosy, they sent them to one island, small island, became a leper colony. And Father Damien would go and bring aid and help, help this community where there's children, bring, build schools. And he wasn't the first to go and serve at this leper colony, but he was the first to go and live there expecting to get the disease himself. And that he did. This is him before he went, and this is him after. He himself contracted the disease of those he loved and served and blessed. He's praised for a man who exemplified incarnational, sacrificial, agape love. He said this, from henceforth I am forbidden to come to Honolulu ever again because I am attacked by leprosy. Its marks are seen on my left cheek and ear and my eyebrows begin to fall. I shall soon be completely disfigured. I have no doubt whatever the nature of my illness, but I am calm and resigned and very happy in the midst of my people. There was an early Christian tradition that began to arose within the first couple hundred years of Christian history that Jesus first showed up to mankind as a leper. Now, that's not in the Bible, but that tradition arose because within early Christianity, there was so much spiritual fervor to care for the, and love the most neglected outcasts in our society. When a plague would break out in a city in Rome, everyone would leave the city and Christians would run towards the city to help the sick and the dying. Christians were instrumental in the creation of what are now known as hospitals. They go towards suffering. Now, how do we respond to this? Well, we probably don't know any lepers or people dying of AIDS right now. Praise God that uh, AIDS is no longer the death sentence it was in the 1980s. But when you see people suffering, do you keep a distance? Right? You know someone who's going through a tough time and you purposely or almost unconsciously don't want to get involved because now your life is affected. And now it hinders your capacity. And now you're weighed down by the burdens that someone else has. And so someone's going through a tough time. We don't call them. We don't get involved because we want to keep our distance. Are we much better than we were in the 1980s? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I want to invite Stephen, the worship band, to come up. And we'll close with this song. Jesus meets us where we are. That's what he did 2,000 years ago. God, the one who cannot die, becomes the one who must die to save those who are dying. God becomes a human. He contracts our death disease that we're all plagued with. 
He meets us where we are. He could have parted the heavens and declared with a golden book, hey guys, follow me. And we might have followed him out of obedience or out of compulsion or out of reverence, but we wouldn't have followed him out of love. We follow him out of love because he became one of us. Because he, he, he be contracted death and overcame it because we all couldn't. That's Jesus. That's the good news. That God still is in the business of meeting us where we are and freeing us from the things that bind us and the sicknesses that ail us. Sicknesses of greed and pride and judgmentalism. God is continually freeing us from this. And Jesus shows us the way. God, I pray in Jesus' name. For the person in this room that has been called a failure, we declare that that's a lie. We declare that they are children of the Most High God. That they are beautiful and wonderfully made. And they are called to live bigger that they are called into something greater than themselves, that they would be able to serve and to love at the expense of self. Beyond just phileo, but we pray for that, but God unto agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. We pray that in Jesus' name, God. Lord, I pray that we live differently, that when we fail, we can own it and move forward and know that we're not defined by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together as we close with this last song?